All right. Um, hello and welcome to Cafe with Strangers. My name is Monica, I'm your host, and today's guest is Armando. Welcome. Uh, my name is Armando Pina, and I actually I was born in Zacatecas, Mexico. I came here when I was about three or four into Texas. Uh, from there, moved to Arizona, and then eventually here to Washington. Um, I have two sisters that I uh, had this journey to go through with, so that was it was fun and not fun at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were they older than you? Uh, one older, one younger. Okay. Do you remember the journey? I I do. I think because I was at an age where I was, it was like three or four, so I was like, I started understanding stuff and really it was at the why like stage of my life so I'm like asking questions I want to know why and uh yeah so it's very I do remember it mm -hmm. very clearly so like just specific things that have had that happened during that one of them the first one that sticks out is like kind of the layout of the place we're in the woods and uh we saw the river my dad was trying to cross like he was trying to see if it was possible to just cross uh, through the river, mm -hmm. but uh, he almost got swept away, so he got out of there, and then some guys helped us cross over. So it was pretty interesting. We came in illegally, even though my dad was here legally working already. Was legally working here? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And so his boss, uh, his boss had he had a work visa through his his boss mm -hmm. who. He his boss actually helped us get here because he didn't want to lose my dad as a worker, so he stole my dad to bring his family with him. So it was pretty interesting. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And also scary because I can't imagine. I came here as a baby. I don't. So I don't remember. Yeah. I was born in Jalisco, well, and um, my dad was seventeen when he came over here. I never really asked him too many stories, and for me, they told me the story like. It's actually really interesting how they, I came over here. So the way that I came over to the States is the story is something along the lines of they missed a flight. It was supposed to go with like an ant or something. So my mom handed me over to a coyote. They crossed me over the border and the next day handed me back to my parents. Like, here you go. Yeah. So I was not with my parents for that like brief moment of time. And I was nine months old. Yeah. So, like, to think now, that shit would never fly. Like, there's no way. If you do that, yeah, yeah. you're never seeing that baby again. Yeah, yeah. You're never seeing that baby again. Uh, I mean, I have kids. I would never hand them off. So <laughs> no, exactly. Like but, that. again, this is um, 27 years ago. Yeah. So, it's like things were a lot different, safer. Yeah. I, I don't have no idea how else I would have done it. Yeah. Anyways, back to, back to your story. Well, you also don't know what your, what your parents, like, what mindset they were in. I mean, like, if they're trying to get out of the country like it might be worth it to them at that point yeah, so. we were actually already living here oh okay. so i have an older sister they were already um, the family was already living over here they wanted to move back to mexico or whatever they're like changed their minds for whatever reason came back and then my brother was born yeah anyways back back to your story <laughs> oh no yeah i mean i just remember a few funny a few other things that were like my mom just reminds me of too that like we were walking through and I just kept yelling at them like I'm thirsty and they're trying to get me to just be quiet Yeah, we're not supposed to be here and so as a kid also just hearing we're not supposed to be here I already know like okay well why yeah I'm starting asking questions like why are we not supposed to be here and why is it wrong and I don't know so it was, it was very now that I've gone 
back and work through some of that stuff, I'd, I'd like realize like, dude, it should be scary for a kid like that age. So you should have some drama. Did you, um, if you don't mind me asking about your like immigration status, yeah. um, we'll talk about that. Are you considered yeah. legal and yeah, quote unquote legal? I'm a citizen now, yeah. <laughs> so during that time, what actually happened is my dad was, he had missed my little sister's birth. So that's why we were coming over here. He just kind of wanted to go go back and told his boss, like, I have to go back. His boss didn't want to lose him, so he said, bring your family here. Yeah. And so his boss helped us uh, apply for, like, legal status. Mm-hmm. And it took forever. I mean, that was when I was six. But, like, five or six when we actually started the process. And then I think I was in middle school when we finally got it, so... That sounds about right, because I remember um, I was around six or seven that they told me, like, oh, you're a citizen, and I was, like, a baby when I came over. Yeah. I only got citizenship, citizenship status through my dad, because he, he became a citizen. And so, yeah, seven-ish years, five, I don't know when he started the process, yeah. but, yeah, I was like, that sounds about right, multiple years to for that. Oh, yeah, my dad didn't do that for us. He, uh, he actually became a citizen after we did, so it was kind of, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, again, years ago, I don't think that it was as significant as it is now yeah. to be citizen, you know, that kind of stuff. So growing up Latino, were there any, was there anything in your life that kind of you were struggling with that you felt was related to your identity? Did you ever struggle with your ethnic identity? Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, all the time, just growing up in Texas, my dad's boss he was really nice, really kind, even though he was like what you would call a typical redneck, I guess. Like just very deep in Texas, just very like chewing on a cigar, like own guns, all this stuff and like but he was the nicest guy to us, like treated us like his own grandkids and stuff. So I really when I went to school with my sister and we started getting made fun of for not speaking English and all that stuff, that's when it really started affecting me and like I didn't uh I don't know, I started trying to find ways to disassociate myself from being Mexican or like trying to know, like trying to let people in on the fact that I wasn't from this country. So like picking up English like very quickly and just trying to, like I don't even speak English with an accent now. And I'm like, I wonder why that is. If like my, cause I think about, I compare myself to my wife's dad who's English and he's been here for years still has an English accent and uh I thought I'm like nobody looks down on that right they think yeah. he's fancy mm-hmm. <laughs> they hear me with my like Hispanic accent they don't think I'm fancy so it's kind of interesting that like I try to get rid of that so quick question growing in Texas there's usually a lot of Latinos there where you went to school was it um like mixed both bunch of like you know American uh, white people and Latinos. Well, I actually only went to school in Texas for uh, first kindergarten through second through part of second grade. Okay. And it was, yeah, I would say it was mixed. Uh, more, of, I mean, obviously more white people than Mexican kids. But I feel like a lot of the kids there were already kind of either assimilated or born there. Okay. At that age, so not a lot of kids that were immigrants during that time in that area, so. 
Going into middle school, high school, did you ever feel like you're you were coming to terms with your identity or with like your ethnic identity, or were you still struggling with it during those years? Uh, I think it was always a struggle. Always I think struggle. even even to my age now, there's parts of myself that I'm like uh, I'm just wanting to like get back in touch with my roots and stuff. I think it's very. Uh, I really screwed myself out of that experience growing up, like a true like Latin person here in yeah. in the United States because it really I did try so hard to to fit in yeah that it and I moved around quite a bit so it was very hard from like not only to fit in as an American but like from area to area yeah so I was, I was always just trying to fit in with wherever I was at and and being Hispanic so it was very a lot of like trying to push that part yeah. of me down so do you remember when you started feeling comfortable and okay and like you know i am mexican-american i'm i'm gonna reclaim that mexican part of me do you remember when you started having those thoughts by any chance after high school after high school, <laughs> yeah, after high school yeah. i had to actually start thinking about myself mm -hmm. and instead of trying to impress other people it was like Oh, I have bills to pay, so like who I am actually doesn't really, like that doesn't <laughs> actually really matter. Like, I I was too busy trying to get my life together that I don't think I had time to worry about that kind of stuff, and so I, that actually allowed for me to like start listening more to Mexican music and just kind of actually learning more about our history. So yeah, yeah. How do you feel about your Spanish? Are you comfortable with your Spanish? Oh yeah, I I feel comfortable enough because I, I I mean that happens at work sometimes, and I I'll step in and I don't feel bad about it. Yeah. But I do realize that I don't really speak it with the accent because it's been so long that I've been to I've been to Mexico maybe twice since I got here. So yeah. What do you remember from from the time going back? Uh, the first time was. The first time I went back, I was six, and I remember just seeing like everybody be happy, even though they were just living where they were living, and I had already kind of lived over here. And it was it was uh, very weird to see them happier than I saw people here when they, I mean, there were still like dirt roads leading up to my grandma's house at that point, so it was it was very. That's interesting. I yeah. yeah, I literally, Christine is who I spoke with earlier today, and she said something very similar when she stepped down on Latin, like Latin soil. She just felt happier, noticed the people being happier. So it's really funny that yeah. you said that, and literally this person that you have absolutely no idea who who she is said the exact same thing. Yeah, and that was as a as a kid too to notice that. I I feel like there must have been that big of a difference. And mm -hmm. then when I was older, I just, I noticed how uh, people saw people from the U.S. Like, they see me and they know I'm not from there immediately because mm -hmm. of the way I have my hair or the clothes that I'm wearing. And they know, like, right off the bat that you're not from there. So sometimes, you know, you have to kind of really be on the lookout for prices of stuff because they'll try to hike the price up on stuff. Yeah. I noticed that, yeah. I do want to get into um, talking about machismo because it's very prominent 
there's a little oh, a little yeah. award for it. It's super prominent with with um, the Latina community, yeah. and most of the people that I've, I've interviewed um, so far have all identified as a woman. Yeah. So I'm curious to know because I've seen it, I know of it. Um, yeah. I want to like understand a little bit more from like someone's perspective about how the machismo affected them and how you know how did it affect you how did you cope with it how are you coping with it and kind of anything along the lines of that yeah uh actually like a lot on this because i grew up with two sisters so i actually never i saw how it could affect women growing up so i i i don't know i just always knew there was something wrong with it Mm -hmm. i think when i was when I was very little, my uncles would try to just get me upset just because they liked my reaction to it because I was just, I have anger issues. So I like just would blow up at them and they would they would want that and then make fun of me for crying and stuff. So I always really struggled with having to like think about like, oh, men don't cry and all that stuff. And then growing up, I just always knew that was wrong. And I... I think because of all of that, and then uh, my dad, one, I do remember my dad one time had my sisters, um, well, my sisters put makeup on my friend and I just for fun, mm-hmm. and my dad was so mad, and I still remember that to this day, and I'm like, why was he so upset? Like, we weren't, like, doing anything, and yeah, it just always seemed wrong to me, so I, I you know, for some reason, I got too... Uh, well, my first kid was uh, born female, and then the second one is is girl too. So, or is a girl, and we, I think that that was kind of a meant to be for me to have uh, that that in my life, just because I needed to to really strongly pull away from the toxic masculinity. And I think that I mean, just going from my whole life of uh, feeling that way to then actually having kids that I have to do that for was I think like it was just meant to be the universe telling me you have to do this and so I've been really working hard to uh, get rid of my check my toxic masculinity and just understand that I have it and it's internalized and like misogyny and stuff that there's things I do on a daily basis that affect women and I um, need to keep those in check and just kind of be aware of those. I, um, I, speaking for myself, but probably other people, um, it's greatly appreciated that you're doing that because it really does make an it it it's an issue. Yeah. And so it's men like you that we need to help because that's where the most impact. Is. Unfortunately, it's going to come from. Other men are more likely to listen to you. Yeah. Versus other people, like other like women, me or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, um, definitely, I love that. This is off to a good start. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to backtrack a little bit into um, machismo and and in high school because high school's a bitch. Do you have any stories or any experiences relating closely to like machismo um, that happened in high school? Uh, honestly, I think the high school that I went to, I don't know if it was, I mean, the toxic masculinity was, was there, but I don't know if it was, 
Well, at least I didn't have, so I guess the answer is no, I didn't have any real experiences with having to like do that. Ah, okay. Well, good. Yeah. I mean, was, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I, and, or I, I just wasn't aware enough in high school because, you know, like, it was not good for me, so. I get that. I actually want to backtrack a little bit. The whole, you saying that you check yourself on, I'm curious. What is it that you've done that you didn't think of before was like a problem or massaging or anything like that that you're checking yourself on? Oh, uh, just the way that, I don't know how I got about talking to to women, I think, uh, expecting, well, I do it mostly with my wife and just expecting too much out of her or like thinking that something is her her job to do. Like I... I think one of the biggest things for me, like I did watch my dad ignore like the housework and all that stuff. My mom and him both worked mm-hmm. and he would come home and just sit down and watch TV. My mom's cooking and cleaning still and I just, it always bothered me. So I I do the cooking when I come home and I will clean and I'll help around the house. Probably just still not as much as what my wife does, but I, that's the kind of stuff like I, I try to think about. Uh, and just with my kids, I teaching them about like their own bodily autonomy. Even I'm not allowed to just come up and give them a hug. Like I have to ask them if it's okay to give them a hug. And I, I was really proud of my oldest kid because the other day I didn't think I didn't even think about it, but she was just out talking to my wife in a robe, and she had just taken a shower, mm-hmm. or they had just taken a shower. Sorry, and um, I was like, hey, can I give you a hug? Because I just gotten home and they said actually right now I'm not dre- I'm not dressed in here so I'd, I'd rather not I'm like cool I love that so yeah, much I, I just it's really important for me to let them know that they have full choice over their body over what happens to it over just over their choices of it too, so thank you for doing that but, I your, your your kids are definitely gonna one day realize and appreciate the mindset that you're in like what you're trying to give to them and everything like that because wow if only our parents were like that right (laughs) if if they were like that we wouldn't be sitting here to be honest um (laughs) that's kind of that's kind of what i try to do i'm like what was i missing as a parent and what did i need yeah that's kind of what that's what i do yeah um (laughs) i do want to talk about your relationship with your father if you if you're okay with it like how was it growing up over time has it changed got better or worse okay (laughs) Uh, (laughs) whatever you're comfortable with yeah yeah so yeah wait hold up hold up I just realized something you're wearing a pink sweater thing that's just like right there we're talking like we're literally talking about like my cheese and all and you're like and you're nails painted I love it I just want to say that because yes progress anyways your father (laughs) yeah Yeah, uh i i feel like he i mean i feel like because my parents were young they tried their best with what they had with what they were equipped with and uh i i think his resentment for his dad kind of tried to make him feel like want to be a better dad but he still um I feel like he did miss the mark on a few things and uh, he didn't really pay us that much attention as kids. It was like I said, he would come home and just sit down and watch TV 
Because um, it was the wife's, the wife's duty. Yeah, yeah, the kids were the wife's duty, and we would go out and do family stuff. So it's not like he was a terrible dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he did teach me like about like my work ethic I get from him and all that kind of stuff. So I do appreciate that about him. Uh, but as we as we were growing up, I just noticed I started noticing a lot of stuff um, that he did that I was like, well, that's not right, and I definitely don't want to do that as a as a man when I grow up mm-hmm. either. And um, over time, him and my mom separated, divorced, and then. Uh, I did live with him for a while and he he left to move to Oregon and uh, yeah that's where he's at now so um, I don't really talk to him that much because he knows kind of that I don't really associate with people that make choices that he makes and stuff like that so yeah okay fair enough yeah. um, that kind of actually we can sway a little bit into talking about religion because you mentioned your parents are divorced they grew up catholic yeah okay divorce catholic yeah that's not that doesn't happen or does not as often especially with like our parents generation yeah divorce isn't an option yeah i think it i think over time it's gotten easier especially but i mean at this at the point where their relationship is at i don't know if there's a a point and it really, I, I really think it was like they are just staying together for while the kids grew up and, you know, so I, I think it was time <laughs> to do it and I don't think religion played any part because at that, I feel oh, sorry, like at I mean, that time, in terms of the religion, it's like um, with Catholic, divorce isn't a thing, you stick with it yeah, together yeah. and so some people, a lot of Catholics are so religious that they put their religion above everything oh, yeah. even if that means staying in the relationship married oh yeah no I, I think at that point when they got to make that choice we weren't involved with the church as okay. much so they were just kind of it wasn't I don't even think they thought about that they're just like it's just not gonna work yeah okay yeah. and then um, so you grew up in a household that was religious yeah. How was that experience for you? Oh, it sucked. <laughs> it sucked. It <laughs> Did you go to so Catholic bad. school or something? No, <laughs> no, but I, you know, I never remember believing, believing some of the stuff that was in the Bible and stuff. And it's my mom just kind of forced it on us. Mm-hmm. And like, I just kept questioning and asking questions. And they kept telling me, don't ask questions. Like, that's not, <laughs> like, I just, that's, that's just because it happened or that's how God works. I'm like, yeah, but like, that's not really like scientifically even possible. <laughs> it was, it was a struggle for me because my mom wanted to push us into it. And because my sisters were so agreeable with them and they just did everything. I like, I was forced to do it. So I didn't have like my sisters like, yeah, I don't want to do it either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were just going along with it. But I fought them all every step of the way. Yeah. Did like my first communion and all that kind of did stuff. Did you do like, your confirmation? Yeah, I did not. Bro, no one has done their confirmation, yeah. or at least that I know. No, I, 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 I did my first communion pretty late, so I didn't. At okay. that point, my I think my mom, once she got to the point, was like, "He's a lost cause. Like, he's, like, <laughs> he's not gonna go anymore." Okay. But, yeah. yeah. I did mine at twelve. My confirmation. Oh, 11, really? 12, Yeah. 
Yeah, see, I think that was the age I did my first communion, which that's pretty old for a first communion. I did my first communion at like eight or nine years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. My dad wanted me right in that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure my mom wanted me in there too. <laughs> yeah. No, and mine actually, my, we actually, it's such a big thing that we literally did it in Mexico. Oh, wow. Yeah. I we did like photos and everything for my first communion like professional photos where like put on fake lashes and like afterwards where you know it's obviously oh, yeah. fake i don't know if you've seen those portraits <laughs> yeah. and i mean don't get me wrong i think they're cute like it's a good portrait whatever but i mean i was a young kid and then confirmation at 12 right? yeah. i don't know what i'm doing you're telling me to go yeah. to these classes and do these assignments okay cool what's up i'll do yeah, it you can't even ask questions about what they're giving you or you know i wasn't one to ask questions Okay. I was always like, okay, you want to do this? Okay, cool. Like, if it wasn't, if it didn't seem super, like, morally wrong, like, it didn't phase me, in a sense. Like, I, I would do it. Huh. I'm like, okay, cool. You want me to do this? Okay. We ended up actually, I started my confirmation in California, like, the classes. And then my dad's like, okay, we're pulling her out because we're going to go ahead and do it in Mexico. And so I went to Mexico, finished my confirmation there. And had it. I mean, the best part about all that was the party. Yeah, right. Was the party. Yeah. yeah, that was the biggest thing. That was like I was excited for that I cared about. And like it's just the party and the gifts. Yeah. Because you're still young enough to get gifts and stuff like that. Um. But yeah. So you grew up religious. You no longer practice religion. Do you? What do you consider? Do you have any? Feel like you have any religious trauma from like being forced to grow up religious or uh, having to be part of the religion when you don't want to? always really felt the same way I feel today mm -hmm. I just thought oh these are good stories to teach morals to people like that's what it feels like to me and it's always felt that way mm -hmm. and so as I kept getting older I just felt even more strong that way and um, actually it's kind of funny my mom let me just not do it anymore and mm -hmm. I never went back until I met my wife and uh, I went to church and then that's when I actually I started identifying as a Christian because I felt like that day that I went to church with my wife I felt like they were speaking like something was speaking to me and so for a while I I like went hard into that and I it wasn't until I think 2020 also I started looking at like uh I was on TikTok and I started seeing like indigenous, like Mexican people and I was like, oh crap, like I should look into that. And I, the more I started looking into it and um, looking at my family's ancestry and where we're from and what type of, uh, like what tribes are in the area and stuff and what we're most likely, uh, where we most likely come from. What what is yeah. information? Share that with me, because like okay. I like I think Zacatecas borders Jalisco yeah, is not so really like close. The north, I think northeast part of Jalisco is like the where it meets up with Zacatecas, yes, kind yes. of close to where I'm from. I think so, Guadalajara yeah. and Zacatecas are just like within a couple of hours yeah. from each other. Yeah, yeah and uh, actually my mom has family in Guadalajara because of that. So uh, the Huicholes. The, yeah, yes, I remember. They go by like a different name, but I can't say it. And I'm not going to say it because I'm probably going to butcher it. But that's what I know. It's <laughs> up to you. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, but I do remember about that 
them we always would joke with my little sister that that's where she came from like oh they just came and dropped you off at the yeah the wichola's dropped you off at the doorstep that's and my funny mom picked you up so it's we used to use it as a derogatory term but i feel like and now i'm like i'm actually like proud to have that and looking more into it and kind of like it, and it made me kind of step away from also christianity because i'm like okay that that would be I don't know, I feel like it would stop me from really truly looking into the culture of the Wicholes and all that stuff, so. Well, I, yes, because colonization. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, I, I feel like it's a little bit of a touchy subject sometimes to talk about religion yeah. with people. My family's only Catholic because of the Spanish yeah. kind of thing. It's like how... That's a conversation I'm not delving into with them, but like, <laughs> you wouldn't be Catholic yeah. if it wasn't for them. Like, you're you're following you're following a faith that your ancestors never followed, yeah. kind of thing. And um, I I've also been as I've kind of gone on this little journey myself to kind of reclaim the Mexican part of me. I've also looked into the indigenous part of where my family is from. Yeah, and it's really cool. Because the area that we're from, long, long time ago, Aztec. Okay. And I think that's so fucking cool to yeah. say. Like, yeah, my answers were Aztec. Yeah. And um, I don't know much about the Aztec, honestly, other than what media has told you. Like, they sacrifice things and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, like, the, the things that they say. And so that's one thing that I'm excited to just kind of delve into that a little bit more and kind of think about what my ancestors did and just... Stuff like that because it's cool and actually one place i've at, i've told my wife this i've always wanted to go and see like the pyramids like the ruins and stuff yes. because like i just feel like that would be that would give me such vibes off of it like i, I feel, feel like that's breathtaking it yeah. would be so breathtaking there's actually um the one of the tallest pyramids is in puebla i believe it's in puebla like oh, one yeah. of the tallest pyramids in the, I don't know if it's the world or like the Americas. Yeah, and then like the the fact that they've been there for so long, like that just amazes me too. And they're still standing. Yeah, it's it's really fucking cool. Oh, I wanted to go back a little bit. So you you said that your child, your first child, um, ate that was on female at birth. Yeah. How was that as a parent navigating that? I'm I'm just curious to know and like yeah your is your your wife is also a Latina no no okay no. so how is it navigating raising kids with different backgrounds like that oh it's a uh, I don't know I feel like we're kind of on the same page even though we have different backgrounds like I I mean the reason I married her is because we have the same type of values mm-hmm. um, and that really is kind of what it what matters if you guys have an agreement on like what values you want to teach your children then it really makes it easy to work together to come to because her and I are different people but we have the same values and um, our way of achieving a certain goal is completely different also so um, we talk a lot Mm -hmm. we constantly have conversations about what we are doing good what we uh, can improve on mm-hmm. and uh, 
Yeah, so I think just the communication. How about like integrating your culture into the household, like and her, um, how she grew up, like how do you guys integrate that into your home? That that we're working on, <laughs> uh, because uh, she's also kind of going through uh, like a little bit of the faith deconstruction mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's it's been a little tougher on her. She grew up Christian and went to like a Baptist college and stuff. So. It, very, very religious. She got religious trauma then. Very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and because she was, she actually uh, performed for the school, it's even worse, like for her, the trauma of it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, yeah, we work, I mean, we really work well together. It's, it's not, it hasn't been that hard. Mm-hmm. And she really, she really does a good job of embracing a different culture mm-hmm. and because her dad's British, so she's not opposed to like, or it, it's not weird to her, other people's It's not customs. as much of a culture shock because yeah. she understands that other people live, do things differently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she, I mean, she visited England every summer as a kid and stuff, so it was really, for her, the culture difference was like oh my dad does something like that or my you know she knows that that like different cultures value different things and stuff and she actually is really good at just listening as like a uh, people say like the white ally and stuff but like mm-hmm. she really doesn't like she just listens she doesn't try to say like oh I wasn't there mm-hmm. or I didn't <laughs> like I don't she, she's being yeah, an ally yeah, yeah she really just listens and and understands that it it's hard for us. Some of the things are yeah. hard for us to to go through in this country. As you know, what did your wife say when you said that you were doing this? Now I'm curious. Now, <laughs> uh, she thought it was great. She always she's. I mean, she hears all the time about like what I went through and mm-hmm. stuff. So she she just thought it it was great that I could finally like tell somebody something that maybe yeah, they yeah. went through the same thing and they could relate. Yeah. So yeah, she. She was all for it. I was just curious. Yeah. Um, no, she loves it. Yeah, I think I think she really enjoys that as well. Just hearing another perspective. She's very open to hearing that kind of stuff. Cool. Um, I did think of something. How, what is it, okay, what are the similarities between you two in terms of how you were raised? Um, were there any that were shocking that you're like, oh, you do this too, or like you have this way of thinking or moral? uh well just like valuing family and how how we value it and uh i think both of our traumas from our parents have made it to where like it's not exactly what we want but what what we don't want in a Mm -hmm. partner and so those are more of the similarities and stuff so and we've done a lot of work on ourselves Mm -hmm. to actually even after we got married we you know wasn't always like Rainbows uh, and butterflies. Yeah, it wasn't always but great. Marriage doesn't but, do that. <laughs> yeah, so we we went through a couple of uh, counselors and mm-hmm. therapists and stuff, and they were just terrible. And then we did therapy individually, Sorry, and that has just even has made it way better. I want to delve into that. So with mental health, um, men are less likely to seek out any sort of mental health treatment, and they're more likely to dismiss it. You going to that was that a difficult thing for you to 
be like, okay, let's cool, let's do it? Or was there hesitation to, to go do therapy? Uh, always knew I needed it because I was, I, like I said, I have anger. I, yeah, I have anger issues. Mm-hmm. I didn't say I have them. I, I have known that I needed to see uh-huh. a counselor. I just have never done it. And then, uh, yeah, one of the times my wife just flat out told me, like, you need to really stick with it. Go to a counselor, see a counselor, or mm-hmm. I'm not going to be here anymore. So I was like, okay, well, we found uh, actually like an anger management like specialist. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to, I think, two sessions with him. And I, what he, the way he explained things to me, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. And it just made complete sense to me. And I, ever since that time, like our relationship has just gotten better and better. Do you remember time, what so. he said? Uh, <laughs> he just kept asking me why that matters. Cause I kept telling him, well, she does this. And like, why, why does that matter? And the more and more he kept asking me that, the more and more I realized like, I'm caring about things that like have nothing to do with her yeah like the reason it matters is because it makes me feel a certain way but nobody can make me feel that like okay. i can only make like if somebody can make me feel something that they have magical powers because i'm like i should be in control of my feelings speaking of control yeah i i analyze myself all the damn time so I'm just curious to know if you realized or kind of dug into your brain and wondered or know what is it that makes you want to have all this control or like the need for control? Oh yeah, it was growing up, uh, well because of what my therapy, like I've, I found out that it, it basically is just like whoever made you feel less than in your life is mm-hmm. the basically where all your trauma is going to come from and for me that was that was my mom and so I had to really start thinking about like in every situation with my wife if she does something and I start uh, my therapist like start feeling like physically what are what are you feeling like is your heart right ra- like is your heart racing do your like palms start getting sweaty and so I started going through all that as like my wife and I are having a conversation and as that starts happening, that's when I can start like trying to think in my brain, like, why is this happening? Like, what, what about my childhood mm-hmm. is similar to this? And I can just kind of quickly take a look at that and either calm down. It's not always perfect. But, yeah, of course. But yeah, it, it, it helps to think that way and just kind of think back. I'm like, I'm not, I think of that situation and I just think this is not that situation. This is my wife trying to to like be a partner to me and we're talking about something that needs to be handled. This isn't my mom like yelling at me or my mom getting mad at me for a certain thing. So I've done a lot of work on that. Okay. So I was curious about the relationship with your father because of the machismo, but you mentioned your mom right now. so. Are you okay with talking about like the relationship that you have with your mom? Kind of like I asked you with your dad, like yeah. ups, downs, things thought about your relationship nowadays. Yeah, I. Well, I, I say my mom because I I really do think because my dad wasn't really, I feel like he wasn't really there enough for me to like be like, oh, that's where it comes from. It's mm-hmm. just for him, it's more like things I noticed. I was like, eh, I don't want to be like that. Mm-hmm. But my mom, it was 
she was in charge of the school thing. So like, it was just a constant battle with my mom all the time about making me feel like I wasn't good enough, especially like, cause my sister was on a roll student and stuff. So my older sister and I always being compared to her was very like traumatizing. Cause I'm like, how am I ever going to be on a roll? Like, I, I had ADHD as a kid and my mom didn't believe in that cause she didn't, she had never heard of it. So mm-hmm. it doesn't exist of course. Right. So, but now she uses an iPhone and those, you know, she had never heard of those. So I'm not sure what, <laughs> but she really, yeah, she didn't hear about it. So she doesn't take me to the doctor or anything and just kind of chalk me up to like just being a dumb kid, I think, and not doing well in school. You're the baby of the family? No, middle. Middle. Yeah. Oh, right. Older sister, younger sister. Yeah. I'm a middle child, too. So I definitely, um, a little bit opposite is I, my sister, we're pretty sure she has ADHD, too. But more of the stereotypical one where um, school was a little bit more of a struggle kind of thing. Um, And... I did really well in school because I liked the stuff that we were learning. I love to learn, hate the school, love to learn. And I always did really well. And so my sister and I, my my, my parents, or mostly my dad, would kind of compare, not, not intentionally compare us, but would, um, I was praised for my schoolwork in a sense yeah. because I was the smarter child. You went to the... Which I hate saying that because smart is very subjective. Yeah. And um, I, it's, it's just, it's subjective. Like to me, I was like, you can be smart in a different way just because you don't go to school doesn't mean that you're not smart. Yeah. And I always really hated that concept um, that people were like, you have to go to school. That's the only way that you're going to be considered smart, or whatever. I hate that. I think yeah. it's stupid. Um, yeah. I just never liked being compared. Whether it was good, bad, whatever, I didn't yeah. like it. There was one time my dad said something, he's like, Oh, something like be like Monica and I'm like do not bring me into this <laughs> do not compare me I do not like it I don't care if it's praising me or anything like that it's like I don't I don't yeah. I don't like it like I just it never sat right with me whatever again I don't think it was his intention to ever come off like a, ne- a certain way or whatever but their parents it happens yeah um anyways back to your your mother anything else that you want to kind of share that you feel like oh about your relationship or anything about growing yeah. up um, uh, yeah well it was just for, with her that's why I mentioned her as the main source of trauma and um, but now our her and I relationship is great mm-hmm. and I that's because I was kind of able to hand some of that stuff back to her and just let her know like hey this is what had like what you did to me and why I'm in therapy um, but I also told her, like, I know that it wasn't like you were purposely doing this to yeah. me. I know that it was because of the way your mom and dad treated you, probably. And she just she opened up about some specific situations that, to compare them to some situations that she had put me through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it just made it easy for me to kind of get over it because, like, oh, she gets it. She understands that she wasn't really like the perfect parent yeah and just I think also by on her own at one point she did acknowledge that she wished she could be there more for us for school and told us why she wasn't and why she didn't really care a lot towards the end of it and 
yeah, it was very that conversation was very eye opening, and it kind of made it easier for me to let those things go. Do you feel like your relationship got better after you were no longer living with each other? Oh yeah, <laughs> as soon as I moved out. <laughs> I, like, I, I this might just be like a thing for everyone, but no, my like a couple within the years, couple years before moving out, me and my parents butt heads. It was oh, yeah. it got it was it was like. It wasn't like the worst singer in the world or whatever, but yeah, no, we would fight a lot. And then I moved out and they moved out of state and we're good. Although yeah. being in the same room as them sometimes is difficult because they still, there's like my parents are religious. And so that they're one of the, those couples that like religion above all, divorce is never gonna happen ever. Uh, so sometimes for me, it's difficult to see them together because I'm just like, you guys are arguing like you're 12. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. It's just one of those things for me. Um, where was I going with this? Ooh, um, curious to know if you know what weaponized incompetence is. Yes. Okay. The reason is because I recently learned about it, or a couple months ago, thanks to TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> and so it just made me, um, like what you had mentioned earlier about like um, your like your wife and your your mom and and you know what they had to do and everything like that. Like, it's to me it. How do I say this? By un by checking yourself and unlearning these things, you're you're helping to not do weaponized incompetence kind of thing. Yeah. Like, because it's crazy to think not crazy to think, but I don't know where I'm going with this. I guess. Do you have any thoughts on weaponized incompetence? Yeah. <laughs> well, it is it is kind of interesting because we do kind of go through some of that, and like I feel like. If I try to put my kid to sleep, she's playing with my beard. She's trying to like, she's it's playtime with me. But with her mom, she'll go to sleep uh, a lot faster than she would with me. So then my wife goes, "Well, I'm gonna put her to sleep." But it's not like at that point, it's like I that is kind of weaponized in confidence because I'm like, "Well, I'm not gonna put her to sleep anymore because." You I just can't do yourself it, out. Right? Yeah, yeah, because I, I, I can't do it or she just wants to play with me. And But at that, but like, I didn't make that choice. My wife was like, I, I'm going to do it. And so in that moment, I'm like, well, do I step on Mama Bear's toes and start this? That's or a conversation topic for you guys to talk about. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to just sit here and let I you speak. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, it was, it's very interesting to me, but yeah, there, I, there's definitely a lot of that that men do, and I mean, I'm sure I still do it, even though I try to check myself on it, because it's... It's the way that, um, it's also kind of like in the way that we raise, like, the kids as well, because um, in the household, me and my sister had all the chores. We did the chores. My brother, yeah. youngest did not he's well, the only lucky. boy but he did not really get to do much of the chores or if he did it was a lot more lenient and slack like slack on him oh, he's or slack on like it was just um he was able to get a lot away with a lot more and like um and him being a grown-ass adult um he like i just like i still see him being able to get away with a little bit more and not have to do like chores this and that and I I don't really think about it anymore too much, but I used to think, is it because you're the baby? Is it because you're a Latino? And 
that's kind of how it is. Like, yeah. the women in the household do all the chores, this and that, and the men don't. Um, and this also kind of popped into my head because I had a cousin who came to visit me last year. And I was working. I come back, and she's like, I tidied up your apartment. And I was like, shit, thank you. You didn't have to. But she's like, yeah, I was a little bit bored. So I was like, that's fine by me. She, like, done the dishes, and she had, like, swept or whatever. Oh, wow. And she's like, I organized this over here. I think it's okay. Like, And she just, like, kind of did that. And I was like, huh, cool <laughs> things. Like, you know. And then um, and then my ex and I, uh, he had come visit. he had come to visit me after that situation had happened and then he he didn't wash the dishes one time or he just like put some dishes away and i just i don't know it just popped into my head and i asked i was like did you have to do chores in your house when you grew up <laughs> and he was like yeah and i don't know how i ended up going about it but i ended up asking a couple more questions to get a, a feel for because he's the oldest of two both are boys oh okay and uh I was just kind of wondering. I was like, "What chores did you have to do?" La la la. And like, I we used to live together with with his parents, and so I remember, and it, it clicked in my head too. I'm like, you never really like. Yes, you would clean, or you would do this and that, but it was it was like here and there, and it's like not, it wasn't like your mom had told you or, "Hey, can you help me with dinner?" kind of thing like that. It wasn't as what it would be like if like a, like a Latina. Yeah, would be yeah. kind of thing and so um i no i was just kind of asking was like because i wanted to know and i came to the conclusion it's like you are the way that you are because that's how you grew up you didn't know any better you didn't yeah. in a sense you didn't know that you should be picking up after yourself and putting your dishes away and that's just to put an example because um it, it, it's like when you like when we go to parties or something like that yo te sirvo my dad too yo te sirvo and so it's kind of like that where the, the women, the wives, the, you know, the girlfriends, they would be the ones to serve the plates to their, to their partner, this and that. And it kind of just made me think it's a societal thing that that's just how you kind of grew up. And we coddled, we, we coddled the men and kind yeah. of feed into this misogyny, mach, machismo thing. And so basically what I'm trying to say is like, I understand how it's like not your fault in a sense because yeah. you didn't know any better you weren't aware of that yeah and so it's one thing to not be aware it's another to be aware and continue doing that so yeah. you being aware and trying to not do that is it's what's important yeah well, I actually <laughs> didn't get away with it my mom I was not when people talk about that like the the mexican boy praise i'm like I was, that was not that me. was not you no i, I wonder if because you were the middle child i don't know was, i really at one point thought it was because my mom hated me but <laughs> like she yeah i got it all the same with my sisters and mm -hmm. even then like if she couldn't stand me she'd just send me to work with my dad who was a mechanic so i'd like be out at the shop with my dad <laughs> working because she couldn't stand me being in the house on the weekends so yeah. 7 a.m. in the morning when she's trying to clean and you're there. Oh, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> oh, she, that was her worst nightmare as a teenager. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, so you are first generation as well. Yep. Um, are there any specific struggles that you feel like you faced as, as first gen, like uh, being the translator of the family or something? <laughs> yeah. That, um, having to figure everything out on your own, uh, like... I think about how 
my my kids have the advantage that I speak English. I know what school programs there is. I know what after school programs there is. You know, and I can sign them up for dance class if they want to dance for choir if they want to do that. And uh, if I wanted to play little league, I had to go sign myself up. If I wanted to do anything, like I had to, I had to figure it out on my own and then just kind of walk my parents through it. And so I think that, yeah, that struggle was kind of interesting because you, I mean, you have to grow up really quick, trying to figure everything out, yeah. and uh, if you even want to do anything, otherwise you lose out on a lot of opportunities. And I see it even now with uh, one of my aunts that has kids and. Uh, they were all born here, but because my aunt didn't wasn't raised here, she still doesn't understand that, and so her kids missed out on a lot of opportunities unless they wanted to walk themselves through it. And even then, when you present ideas to your parents, like, "Hey, I want to do this," they're like, "Well, I've never heard of that. That's crazy." <laughs> like, yeah. So it's it's very tough to grow up as a first generation and trying to figure it out because you do don't you don't have that like. Your parents are in survival mode in a different country, so you don't have that like, "Hey, I'm gonna walk your hand," because like they're struggling. So mm -hmm. your your struggles are not necessarily put before their struggles because their struggles mean have bigger implications as far as like you don't get to eat that way. So, yeah. So yeah. All right. So being the middle child, um, I also there was a lot of stuff that I still had to do on my own, despite having an older sister. Yeah. And um, I was a translator of the family. My sister didn't have the patience for it. And so I was stuck with the task. I was like, you want me to do this? Okay. You just want me to like tell you guys what you're saying? Like, I remember being a little kid oh, yeah. and going to my dad's medical appointments to be the translator. I was wow. a little fucking kid. Yeah. And that I think that's why I got so interested in like the medical science part or something. I don't know. Because we, it was a lot of medical appointments. And I'm a little kid talking yeah. to a fucking doctor. <laughs> Like, I know this was years ago, but damn, you'd think there would be some people that could do it yeah. so this little fucking 10-year-old wouldn't have to do it. Um, anyways, I was talking, okay, so there's still a lot of things that I had to do on my own, despite having an older sister. And so I'm kind of wondering, like, how you and your older sister, like, relationship was. Did you guys ever, like, lean on each other for... Um, stuff <laughs> yeah uh yes i me and my older sister have a really tight or had have always had a really tight bond mm -hmm. um and with my younger sister more as we grew up we were always fighting as kids but with my older sister uh because we had we had to start school together and and kind of go through the, all that what's the age difference uh two years two years okay yeah between all of us so yeah, 83, 85, and 87. So, yeah. 83, 85, 87. Yep. Okay. And so, yeah, I, I leaned on her a lot for kind of just more like understanding of the world, really. Like, she's very calm and patient and loving and caring. So, uh, I would lean on her a lot for comfort and just kind of, she would be the the one where like our parents are fine she just takes us in the room and like just keeps us entertained and stuff and uh at school just 
she she was really smart and so she would always get made fun of and Aww. I didn't like that because that was my big sister so I was always like I think I pretty much spent my entire elementary school like just fighting people really yeah especially <laughs> like like third fourth grade I was we were living in Arizona and I was like almost daily that I would fight somebody because they were making fun of my sister so yeah and uh I think because of that, we just have a kind of a close bond. But yeah. Sweet. Had did your sister ever talk about her struggles as the oldest? Uh, no. And I wish she would. Uh, I asked. I. I know that she holds in a lot of the stuff that she went through because she had to be strong for all of us, and she had to do a lot of the the work first so um yeah yeah she i wish that she would talk about her struggles because i don't think it's until recently that she even acknowledged that there was struggles so it's always that hey sis do you want to talk some deep shit tell me about your trauma growing up as a kid (laughs) you know um, just because the reason i ask is my sister being the oldest she had to take on a lot of stuff as well and um, I I don't know her struggles yeah. other than the ones that I saw because we we would like talk about stuff but not entirely like detailed stuff about like uh, first gen stuff like we don't really talk about that stuff yeah. and it's not that we don't want to or can't it's just it doesn't come across it doesn't pop into our heads to talk about it yeah and yeah, I think that's what that's the case with us too. It's just, it's not something we really, or that if she's not acknowledging that there is that, and like we're not even looking at that part of our life as something that we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of like, oh, that happened. Yeah, it happened. Yeah, but um, I think, I think that we could, I think we might be in the same boat where we can appreciate. Our, our, our sister because the struggle that they had to go through as the yeah. eldest daughter in a Mexican household. Oh, yeah. Because um, being the oldest daughter, you have to take care of so many things. Yeah. And, whatever, and once my sister moved out, I was, I think, 17, 16. I was around 16, I think. When my sister moved out and suddenly I had the responsibilities of being the eldest. And so having that experience as a over some years makes me like wonder the amount of pressure and stress and all that yeah. that our eldest had to deal with. So Yeah. I think see I, I same thing when I, I think I was like sixteen when my sister moved out, but I don't think my parents looked at me like, Oh, he's the he's gonna be the leader. Because <laughs> my younger sister is pretty I mean, she's I mean, she's really smart and she kicks ass at everything she does. So I don't think that they really looked at me like, oh, he needs to lead her. Like, she's pretty much going to lead herself. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, this can kind of have a swaying into the next topic, which is um, uh, education, I guess, in a sense. So um, you didn't pursue education past high school. Right. Is there, um, education is like a big thing with Latinos. And so was it a big thing for you? Like, uh, why is it that you didn't pursue? Um, uh, I, well, that's one of the, that's the thing that my mom kind of just 
told me like she wishes she could have done more support us but mm-hmm. because she didn't really go through school even in Mexico like she's like what can I what can I do to help them if I don't understand this stuff yeah. so um, she never really pushed us to to go to school she knew that it would be good that if we did mm-hmm. and could but because of her lack of ability to help us with that kind of stuff I don't think that she really felt it was fair to do that to us and so in your household it wasn't emphasized the importance of going to school am I understanding that correctly yeah not really okay. not okay. I mean I think at first she tried but then she saw that we were all kind of like my sister my older sister is really motivated by just working and yeah. so she quit school early and get a, a job and go work uh-huh. so uh I was always kind of like doing whatever. I didn't really care for school. Mm-hmm. I was typical like ADHD boy just going through, going through it. Yeah, it, it was terrible. And so like uh, they they really thought like, well, even if he like got good grades, he probably still wouldn't go to school. Mm-hmm. And uh, with my younger sister, she was really she wanted to do hair and stuff, but. Mm-hmm she kind of had to stop doing that because she had her kid responsibilities and stuff so uh she had a baby and was taking care of her and still is but uh yeah so she didn't really pursue it that much but my also my parents didn't really push mm-hmm. us to like go or do anything i think they felt like teaching us a good work ethic and just being able to make money and survive with I felt like they felt like it was good enough to teach us, but yeah, schooling wasn't really pushed on us. Yeah, did you? What did you? And what were you interested? Like as you're trying to grow up and enter like the work field, what was it that you? Did you have an interest that you wanted to go into a certain um, like trade or or uh, field or something? Uh, no, I wanted to join the military, uh, but at the time where I was when I was turning 18 and signing up was 2003. So that's like right at the beginning of the Iraq war. And my mom hung up on the recruiter because she did not want me to go. And I don't blame her. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I'm kind of glad I, not really, but I don't regret not going. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, uh, I forgot where I was going with that. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, interest. Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. That's what I wanted to do. And uh, I really, just working with my hands, I thought my dad was a mechanic and I worked with him a lot. So I really wanted to do something with cars. Mm-hmm. I like uh, auto body just because I, I like uh, art stuff. So yeah. just painting cars yeah. and being able to do like cool stuff with them. That's what I was into. But uh yeah. I get it. Um, All right. Anything that you want to add on top of whatever we've just spoken about? Uh, oh, I know you were going to, or it seemed like you were going to ask me about like my kid and how that was. Like, oh, yes. Kind of um, yeah. So I'm, I'm just curious to kind of, um, Talk a little bit about like your kid and whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. Um, since you were saying 
uh, they are uh, do they like uh, identify as non-binary to you? Yeah, yeah. So they at what age? Uh, this was last year. Last year. So eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Okay, that blows my mind because um, I've only recently considered myself like an identified with non-binary. So yeah. I'm. I'm envious, but super happy that I, yeah, your kid at 11 years old. Yeah. Uh, first of all, that that they had that open, safe space to do that, yeah. because that's one big thing. But also knowing, because I I didn't even know non-binary was a thing until like I think within the past two years. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm just kind of curious to know about that little aspect of your life. Yeah, I. It's kind of it's kind of interesting. They have always uh, they had always kind of brought up a little bit of like like gay rights things and just would talk about it. And I always we always thought it was because um, my nieces uh, came out as lesbian as well. And thought that she's really close with her, so she's trying to stick up for her. And that's just who my kid is. So yeah. We really thought that it was that, and then eventually they came out as as non-binary and bi and I didn't really have a reaction because I I have always told them you know just be who you are no matter what like don't try to make other people happy and just be who you are and so I think that that really that made it easy for them to actually come out and mm-hmm. I didn't really think anything of it because I I was like, okay, this kid, they're trying to tell me this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And if I have a negative reaction to it, it's, they're not going to ever tell me anything about themselves ever again. And so I didn't have a reaction to it. I did talk to my counselor, their counselor. And because the only thought, thing I thought was like, what age is it appropriate for that? And everybody or their counselor that was the one biggest advocate that told me like it like it's a not a real age like there's no real true age where they can identify like the i think like the median age is like 10 years old or something like that where people actually know and about their sexuality so it, it made me start understanding like so i just did research on that kind of stuff and start understanding more about it and what it what it meant and how to deal with it as a parent because I mean it really it is kind of shocking at first but you really don't if you truly do want what's best for your kids all you really want to do is make sure that they grow up having good values mm-hmm. and really that's all like I don't I don't want my kid to turn out anyway except for being kind and compassionate for people so um, and that has nothing to do with their sexuality. I, so, I'm just happy that there's one person in this world that thinks like that. Like, oh, yeah. You're just like, just the safe space that it creates for a kid yeah. is is really huge. So I'm like really happy for your kid in that sense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, alrighty, I think that is it on all of that. What was your experience and journey like in? in the mental health world? Oh, uh, it's been long. <laughs> I, well, when I was in, I think it was in second grade, 
I started like not enjoying school mm -hmm. and actually like failing my classes. Mm -hmm. Like, who, what third grader fails class, right? Like, it's third grade. So, um, I didn't, I didn't understand any of it. And uh, it wasn't until we moved here and I met, I met one of my friends and he, I remember I saw him taking medicine and I was like, well, what do you take medicine for? Mm -hmm. The only people I knew who took medicine were sick people. Mm -hmm. And he explained to me that he took it for ADHD and what ADHD was and what, he, what it felt like. And I was like, whoa, I feel that way. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I feel like. How, and how old are you? Uh, 12. Okay. Yeah, and so I, I went home and I told my mom and she literally told me like, she thought that I was saying this stuff because I wanted to be cool and take medicine like my friend. I'm like, oh, I, I didn't know it was cool to take medicine. That's weird. And so, yeah, it was her just constantly telling me like, no, it's just me. I'm I'm just not paying attention in school. I'm mm -hmm. just not good at school. And uh, yeah, I didn't get diagnosed with it until I was an adult. And I was like, yeah, like, obviously I have so yeah it was it was it was a struggle so school was a struggle for me Every, everything was and I had to not only that but I was like also trying to fight with my mom and I'm like no I'm telling you like I if I have something like, mm -hmm. that doesn't allow me to do the stuff that you you want me to do and it just it was bad and so uh once I started like taking medication and like working on like isn't it beautiful yeah it's so great <laughs> like just to like oh this is what it feels like to think kind of normally or like to be able to organize your thoughts in the way but do you want to know what um so i was have you heard of stratrera yeah yeah so they put me on that one first did not like it for the first time in my life. I'm like, I feel oh, like a yeah. fucking zombie. Oh. Or like, I feel like my, my personality kind of drained away. Like, I just didn't feel like my goofy self. Yeah. And I was like, I don't like this. So we yeah. then we switched to um, Adderall. I'm like, I'm okay with trying that. Cause I was like, I'm not gonna get addicted to it because I need this. Yeah. It was like, um, I had never tried Adderall before in my life. Maybe if I had, maybe something would have clicked in my head sooner. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no. And so, I was like, give me the Adderall. This is, I always, in the past, I, was, I had always told my, my doctors, like, I don't want anything that can lead to, like, addiction. Anything that's addictive, I don't want it. And this was the only medication that I'm like, I want it. I don't care because right now I know that I can, I was like, I, I was like mentally preparing myself. I was like, this is what I need and taken appropriately, it's going to help me. Yeah. And even till this day, I forgot to take it half the time. <laughs> I, you know, I forgot to yeah. take it. And, um, where was I going with this medication oh yeah so it was like the second when I got off that first medication I, I realized how it was how it did have some positive effects I was like oh that's cool I, yeah. I noticed that but then when I went on Adderall I think it was like the second or third day it was at the end of the day and I was like wow I feel so productive I felt like I had a great day and I sat down and I thought about what I actually did I did my bed I did the dishes and I cleaned my apartment and I think I did some laundry. That's it. <laughs> that is it. And I felt so fucking proud and accomplished. And I was like, this is normal yeah. <laughs> for other people. And that blew my mind. And uh, I have been on a stimulant since November, I think it was. I've only been having ADHD or like diagnosed. 
we're not that very long. Uh, I, I had to seek out that diagnosis yeah. because I, it was literally a meme, a Peter Griffin meme. <laughs> oh, and no. it was like, I kid you not. So it was a Peter Griffin meme and he's like standing there, whatever. And the image is split. And then he's like, okay, seven plus 13 or seven plus six is 13. And it's like, oh, normal people. And then this other bubble, it was like all these other signs and whatever. And it's like, okay, 13. But I'm like, that makes sense to me. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean that's an ADHD thing? I was like, no, nah, this just has to be a coincidence. So then I ignored it. But then TikTok and Instagram, it, they know. Yeah. They know. More things start popping up. I have people and, that I worked with that had ADHD. I asked them questions. And I'm like, is this how it feels? They gave me the validation that I needed. I'm like, and so I went to my doctor. I'm like, I know I have it. Oh, yeah. I have it. And so it was really nice to know, to have that validation. I don't know about you, but like I'm, I, 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 the amount of depression and anxiety that I had decreased because I was no longer hard on myself. I realized this is my brain. It's not my fault. It's, I'm not getting up to do those dishes because my brain is telling me no. And it's not really my fault. And um, one of, so I was, <laughs> I forgot to schedule an appointment with my doctor. So my, I was running a little on my medication. And so for the first time I wasn't taking it regularly and I saw the difference, I, I couldn't do shit. Oh, yeah. I could not do shit because I could not get myself the, the what is it, the um, executive function? Yeah. yeah, I could not get myself to get up and do something. Um, my irritability was was high. Oh, yeah. um, I was so much more forgetful, but it was the irritability that really surprised me the most. I had no idea, I, I had never realized how irritable being not being on medication can, can make me. Oh, yeah. And so at this point in my life, I, I need it. In order to function in the society that we have right now, I cannot not have my stimulant. Oh, yeah. I can't do yep. it. It's it's difficult. It's, it's And I have a side effect where it... Um, oh, this is actually probably really bad because of the caffeine that I had earlier on accident. But my hands are shaky now. And it's because it's of my medication. Mm. So I'm going to have to, like, switch... That I have to talk to my doctor about switching it because I was like, I work with my hands a lot, and I'm like, this is this is not okay. Oh, wow. This is too difficult for me to 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 manage stuff like that. So, yes, what is your experience with medication and stuff like that? Because that's another thing. Like a lot of people that I've talked to, either don't want to try medication at all, yeah, or very hesitant, and very far and few between people that I know of willingly take medication. So I'm curious to know like your take on that and. Yeah. How easy it was for you to be like, okay, give me meds. Yeah, well, when I first got went and got my diagnosis, I I had already tried like all the natural stuff that because I'm like oh, like pretty sure I have this thing, so I tried it. I'm like, it's not working. Mm -hmm. I went to get diagnosed, and uh, he put me on Vyvanse. Yeah, which was. Which was okay when it first started, and then it was kind of interesting. Every time I go in to check up with him, he's like, "How are you doing on it?" I tell him I'm doing okay, and he'd up my dosage. And but I just said I was okay with it, and so by the time I was like, I told him I didn't want to do it anymore. I was like taking I think it was like fifty milligrams of it, fifty or sixty milligrams of it, and I did not feel good. Like I was feeling like panicky all the time oh. I was like this is not doing me any good and I was so irritable when I would forget it that I was just being an asshole to all my 
like family and friends and stuff and I didn't like it and then I went back to try to do a natural thing and because uh, I thought if Vyvanse is like what they are giving out now that's like less like of a stimulant than Adderall and all that stuff and like I have no hope with the other stuff and then it wasn't until I went to a naturopath and she recommended this one doctor and uh, she's had me on the same dosage for three or four years mm -hmm. and it's been fine so I'm like oh it just it just needed to stay at a single dosage that was working for me and I would have been okay but which one what medication are you on right now? Uh, Adderall. It's on Adderall? Yeah. Yeah I so I have to I was on Adderall and then they switched me to the generic because your insurance wasn't going to cover it yeah. and it would have cost like two fifty or three hundred dollars a month. Oh wow! Out of pocket, I'm like, no, fuck that shit. Yeah, that's my mm -hmm. It's pretty no, like, like no. Um, so I'm on generic, and I notice the difference between Adderall and the generic. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's I'm on twenty milligrams, and the generic sometimes makes me feel like it's like fifteen milligrams sometimes because I I'll lose my train of thought, but I'll come back to it. And we're at with Adderall. I I almost didn't lose my train of thought, or if I yeah. did, it was like super back into it. Um, but yeah, I've noticed a couple of differences, and I don't like it. But I'm also not paying three hundred bucks a month for that. <laughs> yeah. Is it more? Um, but you got me fucked up. Yeah. You're going to be spending that much money. <laughs> Tell them to give me twenty five milligrams. <laughs> In this economy. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Any. You know. You know what I think is interesting is that. With Adderall, or not Adderall, but with ADHD, it's a simpler fix, simpler way to help versus depression. Because oh, yeah. uh, other people who I spoke with were like eh, iffy about it or whatever. It, it was for uh, medication for depression. Yeah. And so there's like the trial and error that most people have to go through. It's you're lucky you won the first try, you know, it's the one that works for you. Yeah. And so I think. Um, in my head, it, it's making me just like kind of wonder that that's why you you are taking medication a lot less. How do I say this? That you're taking medication without as much hesitation as other people that I've spoken to, kind of thing. Oh yeah, I, th I think so. I think actually, my older sister has taken medication for both, and I think that her apprehension for taking a like ADHD medication comes from not wanting to take like depression medication so and then actually I haven't even like I've gone through bouts of depression where I'm like I'm not going to take the medication for that because of what I've heard and I just I don't know what I do I, I go and like find things to, that make me happy like uh, actually we're close to the float the floating place that I will go to like mm -hmm. the a floating place yeah the it's like the isolation chambers that you go into they have this here yeah it's actually right across the street what's it called uh it's a uh, float seattle float seattle yeah and the you just go in there for an hour and meditate so and i've been doing that for a while so that stuff is uh great for mental health i'll have to try that out yeah cool i would suggest probably not if you're like in deep depression because being alone with your thoughts can be super mm -hmm. scary but definitely if you're on a journey to healing yeah <laughs> it's probably a good I definitely say I'm in a spot for that 
I'm I'm yeah. I'm down to explore my mind a little bit more. Yeah, it's actually uh. really it's really interesting because it it really it's supposed to be like sensory deprivation, mm-hmm. so you don't feel you don't feel uh, you don't hear anything, you don't see anything, and the water is the body temperature, so you're just floating. That's so cool. It, yeah, it feels like you're floating in air, and it's. All right, I'm gonna yeah. check that. I'm gonna put it in my bucket list and get that taken care of. <laughs> um, anything else regarding mental health that you want to talk about um, in terms of like struggles or um, advice or? Oh yeah, I like think that? well, uh, I think if you're a male, a man, uh, identify as a man, I think it's important to uh, go and just talk to somebody. Just have a, a therapist. I do a men's group where just a bunch of dudes get together and try not to cry for one week so um, how does that turn out <laughs> fail assuming you fail, fail yeah. yeah okay yeah it, it's <laughs> but it actually it it's interesting because all the guys that are in there like you would see them on the street you'd think oh that's like he thinks he's a tough, tough guy dude. but like we're all in there and I mean every every guy in there's cried at least once so uh but it's a very safe place for us to do that mm-hmm. and it's uh I think that that having a place like that is very important and it's had, it's helped me with a lot of the stuff that I've actually been able to this group on. is it um with is it like a a group that you go and join or did you did you and some others create it uh it's one that I went and joined okay do you mind sharing a little bit about that just in case yeah. someone hears and it's like yeah it's uh called the good guys club and uh I the guy that does it is he's responsible for some of the like court appointed like anger management classes uh-huh. and that's who I originally went to it wasn't court appointed but I, <laughs> I, I, kn- I know I needed it yeah. just as much as they did so mm-hmm. uh, so yeah that, that's who runs it and he's really good at simplifying things and making I guess like the most hard-headed man understand like where they're going wrong and mm-hmm. what they can improve on is just the good guys club yeah the, okay. the good guys club all right yeah and, and it's based in bellevue bellevue okay that's good information to pass on if ever come across it um anything else that you want to share about mental health or anything like that that we've talked about them uh, no not really so. okay <laughs> so i like to end um with some like information facts about where someone is from yeah. and so realizing that I had a whole bunch of people from Mexico I'm like okay how do I make this simpler and um Zacatecas I have some information about Zacatecas so some of this information is from visitmexico.com and the history so just not out of my ass it's this information <laughs> is don't come after me <laughs> okay so Zacatecas is one of the cities with the most museums in the country oh wow yeah I was like Ooh, I've been to one cool. actually well boom there you go yeah. it actually listed like a whole bunch but this was uh this is so ADHD um I I finished this up last night <laughs> and um I'm a stoner. I, I own that title probably. COVID just I just showed me my path to yeah. stonerhood. <laughs> Anyways, I was also stoned, so I didn't write yes. down the, the names of total silver output yeah. comes from Zacatecas. Yep. That blows my seventeen percent out of the entire fucking world. Yeah. That's a lot. That's pretty much um as I was reading through this, that's pretty much why I initially Zacatecas they were like, 
mm, whatever. And then after realizing all this silver, they're like, uh uh-huh, we want it. Yeah. And that's fucking cool. That's where all the European settlers went to. And actually, like, I don't, I haven't researched too much into it, but Mm -hmm. I, I heard that they were kind of responsible, the people that were uh, mining those silver mines there. Like the European settlers mm-hmm. were kind of responsible for starting the North American like trade, like the the slave trade. Like, no. Yeah. To in order for them to mine those, so like it's kind of a depressing fact, but like. I think I remember because there was so much silver there. Yeah. Could, yeah. I think I remember reading that they did use a lot of the indigenous people. Yeah. Which even if, even if I didn't read that, I'm pretty sure that's fact. Yeah. Um. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. All right, I'm going to read this word by word. Um, I'm a big fan. I did a, in, in high school, I did like a little project on Badrovia, and I was like, I don't know, fuck it, I want to know more. So yeah. I did it. And so I got really excited because this is about Badrovia. I was like, woo. Um, so did you know, in June 1914, the city of Zacatecas became the center of a national tension when Badrovia and his Dorado stormed the city to clash with Spanish forces commanded by General Victoriano Huerta. The battle, known as La Toma de Zacatecas, was the largest and bloodiest of, of the revolution, leaving 7,000 soldiers dead, 5,000 wounded, and the number of civilian casualties was never recorded. So we can only imagine how much that was. Yeah. Um, not a fun fact, but it's a fact that um, caught my attention. I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. That, that's actually the museum I went to is where oh, that yeah. took place. And so they have like the statues of of him there on his horse and stuff. It's pretty it's pretty cool. That city, the actual city of yeah. Santa is really beautiful. I I'm just like so excited. As the more as that I've come to like do little mini research about like the states of Mexico, the more excited I am to to go visit and just see all these things. Because I I've I, I I never knew Puerto Vallarta was like a couple hours away from from me yeah. until last year. <laughs> yeah, when you look at a map, it's crazy. It's like it's there. like oh my god, I felt like a fucking idiot. I was like, are you serious? And then um, I think it's really cool. Tequila Jalisco is like three hours away from my from my hometown in Mexico. Oh, nice. I know. I was like, ooh, I don't drink, but still, I'm just like, I can go there and just to say that I visited. <laughs> and anyways, thank you again so much for being yeah. part of this. Do you have any any shout outs, any social media you want to share, anything like that? Uh, yeah, shout out to my sisters. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they were there on the journey with me. So I'm, I'm sure they have some crazy stories about how they grew up and uh, and my family, my wife and my kids. So uh, yeah, I don't have social media except TikTok. So uh, but on there, I'm uh, Funk 33, Monk 33, which is Funky Monkeys. Funky Monkeys. Yeah. Funky Monkeys. You know, I had to keep going back and forth. I'm like, fuck, what's your name again? What's your name again? (laughs) (laughs) I had to go do that for a couple of people. I'm like, I want to make sure I get your name right. And I, um, yeah, okay. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Alrighty. Well, thank you, everyone, to whoever is listening. Much appreciated. And until next time. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do.